You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. On this episode of the EdUp Experience, we welcome former NFL athlete Marcus Ogden. Marcus, after he retired from the NFL, went through some tough times. But today, he's a keynote speaker, business coach, consultant, and best-selling author. He talks to the EdUp Experience about social equity, what's happening in current events, how to overcome adversity, and why higher education needs more strength and structure. Now let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience. Joe Salustio here. And this is Elizabeth Liba. And on the line, we have Marcus Ogden. Marcus, how are you today? Doing well, Joe. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Um, uh, you know, before we get started, I, I will tell you we have tons of questions for you. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, how are you uh, uh, per, uh, personally given uh, COVID-19, your, your family, your circle of friends, uh, you know, is everybody healthy? Uh, and then, uh, you know, given uh, some, some of the events that have happened recently in our society, how are you doing as a person? And, and uh, you know, how are things? Just a, a general question. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Joe. So COVID-19, uh, thank goodness, has not had any type of health effect on our family at all. My wife is a teacher, so you know she's been home for you know, the last almost three months. You know, both my daughters, of course, not in school. So my in-laws, who I'm very close to, they live about 20 minutes away. They're doing well. So a lot and a lot of my coaching clients, you know, I coach a lot of people all around the U.S. and internationally. Their families and themselves are doing very well. So very fortunate that COVID-19 has not hit me personally or anybody in my circle. Now, of course, with we'll talk about, I'm sure a couple about this later, with the whole situation going on in our country right now, that's affected me in a different way. And I'm very saddened by what's going on. But, you know, as far as the health perspective, we're doing well. I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, we really appreciate you coming on. We know you're a busy man out there. But I think, you know, for our listeners, uh, and as you know, this dealing primarily with higher education. We'll, we'll bring in the educational piece at one point, but you have a really interesting background and story. And I thought, um, you know, a good place to start would be, you know, tell us about Marcus, you know, your journey through the NFL, uh, through your now professional uh, success in speaking and coaching and, and, and how you got to this point. So for me, I, when I got out of football in 2000, uh, 2007, 2008, I transitioned over to a place of, you know, it was really difficult transition for about six months. So it was kind of dark for a while, a lot of solitude, you know, of loneliness, not really knowing what to do, where to go. I finally found a construction business in 2008, which became the largest African-American subcontracting business in the city of Baltimore and the state of Maryland that was minority owned. We were a site work contractor. We had tons of success, made a lot of great money. We were an eight-figure business at our height. But unfortunately, Joe and Liz, I ended up becoming very mm, pompous, arrogant, and I lost the standard education rule, which is you should never stop learning. And I thought I knew it all. And mm. slowly but surely, my best team members started to leave my organization. And I looked around. I had no no real great guidance, no real great help in the office, and my company went bankrupt six months later when I spent about two and a half million dollars of my money 
on one job that I was supposed to get paid back a change order for, and that change order got denied by the developer and the contractor and sent me into a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Moved to Raleigh in 2013 with $400 to my name, and that's all I had. I was a multimillionaire in April 2012 and April 2013, $400 to my name, that's it, nothing else. And literally from that standpoint, I was working at Merrill Lynch. Uh, you know, that was my higher education, you know, degree from Howard it was finance. And I was at Merrill Lynch for about two months and got fired. Then it was all my fault. Went to a construction company the next day, got fired five days later. And what I found was I found myself in a hole and I couldn't get a job. And, you know, you know nobody was, was a lot of process of, going through resumes. I had no resume. I mean, I was a, I was a football player and a construction company owner. I didn't have a resume. I didn't know, I didn't know hiring agents any of that stuff. So literally I went to the point where the only job I could get was I was coaching football to the youth and I became a custodian for $8 an hour and well, eight twenty five to be exact. And I had a pivotal moment in September, 2013, where I said, if I don't turn my life around today, it takes some accountability. I will be in a lot of trouble. And that's what I did. And I turned my life around and I relaunched and rebranded myself. And, you know, I started speaking in 2013. And you, I'm sure you both know when you start something new, it never goes as planned. And I was the same way. Uh, I didn't get a paid job for hmm, two and a half years. And I still worked other jobs, of course, custodian, football, camps, leagues, et cetera. And I basically got my first paid job in April 2016. And I haven't looked back since then. I've worked for the Home Depot company to Axe Advisors to PNC Bank to the National Football League Player Engagement Office to, you know, J.P. Morgan and Chase, you know, many, many, many school systems, you know, college. My first paid job, it was a college uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina. So, yeah, that's who I am today, and I haven't looked back since. The That's a... Uh... <laughs> Pretty incredible stories, particularly the mm-hmm. part where you go to the NFL, you become a multimillionaire, you know, based on your physical ability, and then, you know, maybe didn't have the foundation for business and end up uh, with four bucks to your name and reinvent yourself uh, when you could have, um, I think, uh, fallen what to depression, looked at. Uh, you know, uh, given up uh, to some degree. I mean, I think that's a, a pretty uh, amazing uh, a story. So congratulations, by the way. Uh, that's, uh, that's amazing that you've done that. Oh, thank you. You know, it's really important, Joe, that yeah, I tell people this all the time. We all make mistakes. I, I put a post on LinkedIn yesterday. You know, it's, you, know, you know, the harder you fall, the higher you bounce. And what I look at that is, is that if you fall and like it's like your basketball, you're bouncing the basketball, you got to bounce it hard for it to come up and you know for you to dribble the basketball. Well, when you fall, if you fall hard, you can you're gonna bounce high if you look at it that way. It's very easy to not look at it that way and get depressed and get anxious and get upset and get play the blame game. Problem with that is, is that so many people in life have so many issues that they really don't care about yours. So how can you be a, I call it a beacon of knowledge and inspiration and stop spouting off, you know, hate, bigotry, laziness, whatever the case may be, so you can actually start making a positive change in people's lives. Mm, noted. 
Well, you know, look, I, I, we've got a lot of questions for you about your journey, and, and we'll ask those, but I think it'd be remiss uh, for us and irresponsible if we didn't um, recognize the, the George Floyd uh, uh, murder of George Floyd, the uh, societal outcries that have uh, been happening uh, since then. Um, you mentioned that this has affected you personally to some degree. Um, as you know, Liz and I uh, and Elvin, uh, who's not with us today, we all work within higher education and we all have opinions on how higher education can uh, be part of the healing process and part of communicating um, uh, uh, equity and inclusion and all of those uh, important factors. Uh, how has this affected you? Um, and, and how has it, do you think that, that uh, what's happening right now um, is a wake-up call for society, and, and how should we, how can higher education, in your opinion, be part of the solution? And that's a multi-tiered. We call that a double-barreled question when you ask questions in a row. But if you could do your best to answer them all. No, nah, I understand. So first of all, it's affected me from a standpoint of, yeah, you know, I'm a black, I'm an African American male. I'm six five and a half, two hundred fifty five, two hundred seventy pounds. So. I know what it's like, you know, with two, tap, two full tattoo sleeves and the whole nine yards, and I know how people can come off, and I might seem intimidating to them, and, you know, what, you know when they first look at me. So I have to recognize that. And what I try to do is I, kind of, I try to take, like, the Shaq mentality where he's always super laid back, super goofy, you know, super funny, trying to break down those initial walls. So, unfortunately, the George Floyd situation – has made it where we now have a lot of racial tension, division uh, in our country. I coach a lot of Caucasian uh, individuals, entrepreneurs, higher education, uh, sports, to business, all across the board. And some of them, all of them are, all of them are appalled by what's going on with what happened to George Floyd. But a lot of them have actually asked me, well, Marcus, you know, please don't take offense to this, but I'm naive to what it's like to be an African-American male, or I don't have a lot of friends. I'm from a certain part of the country. Not that I don't want to. I just did none in my area, so I don't interact with them. And I'm really just naive. How can, you know, can you explain it? Finally, it's taken this long, but it's so many people from all different backgrounds, men, women, all different races, white to black to Hispanic to everyone to a lot of police officers are now joining, military is now joining, and marching together or, you know, locking on with being or whatever the case may be. And I think we're finally starting to see some social and some political and some justice reform because of this. Now, I'm sorry I had to get this far. I mean, I, I never want to see people lose their lives in any fashion. But for, some, for this to actually happen, it's sad. But George Floyd might be the spark that really starts this country and maybe even this world into a. I've never seen things like in Paris, Denmark, uh, I mean, uh, Holland, Swiss. I mean, it was, it was in so many countries, protests. And, you know, and I, I will always support peaceful protests. Violence, I cannot support. But I'm seeing, Joe and Liz, so many peaceful protests that I think what's going to happen is, is that you're going to get some people in the right seat, political seat, and start making some real higher education. And higher education can play a major role in this because if people start learning a lot more things from a social perspective, if you start trying to make some reform around 
you know, criteria for hiring police officers. Maybe yeah, they make them a little bit of better pay so they can, we can have a better quality of people who sometimes aren't going to be people that have these type of, you know, uh, these issues potentially. Uh, it could be dialogue around doing more debates, you know, which, you know, with, you know, intermixing the races and doing more debates and more activities and more things with higher education and school system. I mean, I don't know. There is no one answer. But I know that for the first time on the, in the global, what I can remember, I'm 39 years old, you have so many people saying this is wrong and how do we fix this to make it right? Thank you for that. Liz, I know you want to jump in. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely do. And, and I appreciate you providing that perspective and that input about just, you know, some of the friends and and business associates that you've had that have expressed that interest in learning about why this is such a huge issue in uh, black communities and what needs to be done to fix it. As higher education professionals, we definitely want to look at solutions and we want to think about how to inform uh, the public and, and, and support our students through this. What are some of your suggestions in terms of, uh, I always think as a faculty member, that representation on campuses, making sure that students have mentors that look like them are some of the things that uh, we need to think about exposing students to diversity. You went to Howard University, I saw, which I found that very unusual. I'm seeing a lot of people on social media are talking about uh, NFL players, they need to go to HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. What informed your decision to attend as a historically black college and the experience that you had there, how can we translate that so that people are a little bit more informed about, you know, maybe black faculty or diversity in terms of student organizations? How can we kind of bridge that gap between what's going on in the HBCUs where I, I hear so many good things that from my colleagues that went to HBCUs, I went to University of Florida, I didn't have that support mechanism. What can we do in our predominantly white universities to bridge that gap that a lot of the support and things that um, maybe you can speak to that you get at HBCU that you might necessarily not get at um, a, a, a traditional college? Well, I think you said it best and wonderfully. You need to set up some good mentor-mentee programs where people can relate to people and see that they are similar to them like them and how to interact with them, but also how to interact with other races. Like at Howard University, I went to a predominantly white high school. So when mm. I got to Howard, it was lovely not just to see blacks, it was good to see people from Africa, from, you know, Haiti, from, uh, you know, it was, I mean, all, so many different, you know, cultures and, you know, ethnicities that we came, that came from Jamaica, all across the board. And, what Howard and a lot of black colleges do very well is, like you just said a moment ago, Liz, they diversify their staff. And that, in my opinion, is exactly how you can really bridge the gap. If, if I'm an African-American and I'm at a white college and I only have a white, you know, white you know, mentor, people I can go and, go, and, go and speak to, I might feel that they are not going to be able to relate to some of the things that I've gone through, and I might clam up and not talk as much. 
Or I might look at some of them and say, well, you don't know what I've been through, so how can I speak to you and have a conversation to really get things going? So I really believe that diversity and bringing people together from different backgrounds, I'm not talking about black or white, I'm talking about you know, different cultures from all across the globe, it's going to help bridge the gap because I think it's going to get people to start talking more and stop following up any potential anger or fear or resentment that they might have because they don't know who to talk to and feel like it's someone they can really just really relate to on a higher level. I think that's really the key, and I think you really hit the nail on the head as far as what you talked about, people not being exposed to those of other cultures or, or not understanding maybe how to interact with other cultures. Sometimes when I look at the LGBT Q community and how they've been able to really advance their cause, or even I've worked in the uh, addiction treatment field. And I think sometimes there's certain demographics or certain causes where people have someone in their family. Like most of us have someone that struggled with addiction. So we're starting to be a little bit more aware of it. Or most of us have someone that maybe is in the LGBTQ community. So we're like, okay, they need to be treated equally. And, but a lot of people don't necessarily have black friends or a lot of people don't necessarily have black people in their family. So how do we bridge that gap? And I, I definitely think that's a, a salient point about the diversity on campus. Oh, yeah. I mean, Howard was known and is known as the Mecca, but it's not just like the Black Mecca. It's like the Mecca from having people from all different walks of life that come, that come there and go there and teach there. And I remember playing on our team. We had a few white teammates, and we treated them the exact same as we treated anybody else. Like, I mean, like, you know, and that's what it was to us. Now, I feel that it really just stems from your upbringing, and it also stems from just how, how can you feel you can have a conversation, relate, and get that whole process going. And it's not easy when you are an individual, especially as you grow, you grow older, because sometimes you don't know what to say, how to say it. You don't want to come across ignorant. You don't want to come across insensitive. And then a lot of times what happens is, Liz, a lot of people just stay silent they don't know what to say or how to integrate. And I think that's not right because you should be able to say what you want to say, but have a discussion and a, di- and a dialogue. Don't look to pass blame or shift, you know, anger to someone that may just not know how to interact with different people from different cultures because they just don't know what the culture is like. Absolutely. That's a really good point because we don't want to stifle people from learning. And sometimes that fear, you can't really break through that in order to get your questions asked and, and really make sure that you, you educate yourself and learn. Let's talk a little bit, um, Marcus. Oh, go ahead. Liz, can I, can I jump in with one? Of course. I, I go ahead. Ask, um, you know, Marcus, uh, 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 um, one of the questions that I have or, or one of the things I'm noticing um, and, and bringing this back around to higher education, mm. uh, we saw um, – you know, immediately after the George Floyd incident, I think every higher education institution, maybe every institution in America put out a statement mm-hmm. of some kind, right? Um, we're against racism. Uh, we stand uh, with the African-American community. Sometimes, at least in the higher education uh, a field, long letters uh, talking about diversity and inclusion. Um, and then there's a, and then what question, right? Huh. That, that I think many of us have. Okay, great. You know, look, we, we stand, and I'm saying we, pick a university in the United States, doesn't matter who it is. We stand for uh, social equality. How do we get there? 
like, you know, we're, we're in it. We're an institution. Higher education is an industry where we teach people. We teach them to be better citizens. Hopefully you'd, you'd hope that curriculum is built that way. And when you have a, a, something that happens in real time, like this incident, you are trying to have a conversation around it on old time curriculum. Curriculum in higher education is generally built around programs, around specialties, and not necessarily around current events enough to the point that it's going to, that the current event uh, sails by before you really spend any significant time learning about it. How, you know, what's a way, and this is a, this is really a loaded question because I don't know what the answer is here, but how do we do better? Um, in our higher education communities to to learn and highlight the incidents of uh, uh, things that are happening today rather than, you know, a, a, a spider web, you know, textbooks, uh, if you will. You know, how, how do we make sure that we stay current? You have to be strong enough yet structured enough as the teachers and the higher education staff that set the policy to be able to have dialogue with your students at the time. And that's what I feel is missing in this situation. And, again, I can speak from so many clients of mine I've been coaching, and it's coming to me the last week, right? I'm going to buy a book with them every once a week. A lot of my coaching clients, and I enjoy my job. Uh, five of my eight Caucasian clients said, Marcus, how do we fix this? And I told them the same thing. They have to learn to start speaking up if they don't know but saying that they want to know so they can help to do better. So in higher education, if we start setting the precedent with our young people that it's okay to ask questions, it's okay if you're naive, it's okay if you don't understand what someone else has gone through, but you're not trying to diminish it or you're not trying to sweep it under the rug, you're trying to find out about it so you can help break the cycle, right? That's how it starts. But if we continue to say, well, I don't want to talk about this situation, I don't know how to talk about it, and there is no right or wrong way to talk about it, but talking about it, period, is right. As long as the participants understand this is not an unhealthy or an attack on one another. It's a discussion around how can both sides come together and be, do better. And I'm talking about the black side the white side, the Hispanic side, I don't care what side it is. It's like come to the table with solutions. Don't come to the table with your guard up, angry from fearings of oppression. Am I upset about that? Absolutely I am. And, you know, am I really, you know, am I, I'm, I'm super upset, but I even had someone send me a picture uh, from back in the 16th, probably 1700s, that, that the slave patrol badge that was back in the 1700s, 1800s, it looks exactly the same as a depth, like, like a police badge, you know, to, mm -hmm. depending on how you, how you look at it. It could be like a deputy sheriff's badge. Like they, it's, 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 it's a symbol of slave patrol, you know, badge from then to deputy sheriff today. Is that anger yeah. me? Sure. Oh, I don't like that at all. Yeah, that's how they all. started. Right. But here's the thing is that we as people today, cannot carry the anger of our ancestors, we have to figure out how to break the cycle, and we have to figure out how to have dialogue with people that don't look like us, don't act like us. If we don't do that, our world will always stay divided.
But, again, is it okay to be frustrated and angry? Absolutely. But don't look at every person today and make them out to be the people that were 300 years ago because that's not who we, that's not where we live today. Thank you for that. Liz, you want to – sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, not at all. I'm glad that you asked that because that's actually a really good question. And just to piggyback off of that, um, you do a lot of coaching on brand management, and you talk about um, just establishing your brand. And I guess from um, a higher education perspective, sometimes schools are not as um, aware as to how they're portrayed and, and the advertising aspect of it and the brand management and marketing aspect of it. What can schools do to establish themselves and, and ensure that people are aware, kind of just along the same lines of what uh, Joe asked about, that they're not just putting out a statement, but they actually walk the walk, not just talk the talk, but they actually are going to um, take some real life, real deal steps to um, forward the cause of inclusivity and, and, and make sure that they are um, really on board with the idea of um, racial justice and equity. And then as well, you talk about the, and this is kind of like a, a two-part question, but you talk about the, the making sure that there's a safe space for employees to express themselves. I know a lot of people have been struggling with um, this week. I know I've not been on my A game because I'm just so thrown off by everything that's been going on. How can universities you have on, you have on provide that? I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, here's the thing is that what has to happen is you have to start bringing in some experts who are, you know, who are really good at the whole, you know, interaction, dialogue, debate type of setup. People that know how so they can look at people, how they sit, how they react. If they hear something, how they either tense up or don't tense up. Like, you know, there, there are people, and I've been doing this for a, little, a lot of my clients, too, in some of their companies. It's like people who have been studying and gone to different educational platforms to learn the debate process. And then bringing those people in to start having dialogue and then keep it very structured, very healthy, very consistent. You have to set ground rules. And you want to create a clan culture where everybody's on the same team, and there's no adhocracy, there's no hierarchy, you know, those type of cultures will work in certain organizations. But I feel in the education system, if you're dealing with, like, issues of social justice or reform, it has to be a clan culture atmosphere. Otherwise, you risk people, you know, getting very upset, being very agitated, being very just, you know, uh, and then if it gets like that, once people start getting agitated or get their guard up, at that point, the conversation will turn from a healthy debate into an attack mode. That's just the way most people are. They become emotional and not cognitive. And as far as the schools go, yes, when you are a brand, you have to talk the talk, which is, I think is the easier part, but you have to walk the walk. So if you want to start talking about doing things, you have to actually start putting on debates for your kids in the school system, or you have to start bringing in experts to talk about these different things, like, or you have to start setting up, you know, rallies or virtual meetings or, you know, mm -hmm. more virtual spaces, however you want to do it. So, uh, you know, I'm talking during COVID and after COVID, just get together and start doing some things where you're interjecting both sides or all sides to come to the table with suggesting solutions and, re and recognize that the school system and the parents and the actual students 
have to really have dialogue as well so everybody's not caught off guard. So when you're a brand, what you say, it doesn't really mean a whole lot, but what you actually do is what really does mean a whole lot. Absolutely. You know, one, one of the things that you said, and I want to just shift the conversation just a little bit, Marcus, going back, reaching back to your time in the NFL. You know, there's a, there's, and I don't know if this is your particular situation, uh, but you can comment on that. There's been a lot of studies about um, um, uh, uh, people in the NFL coming from a lower economic background, um, being rewarded for their physical gifts, being multimillion, becoming multimillionaires in a, in a short period of time. Now exiting the NFL with um, uh, maybe not the set of life skills and financial management skills needed to, to keep that money and invest that money and, and create a, a wealth for themselves for the long term. Is that a failure of, of education? Is, is it, you know, and, and uh, you know, is it, I know the NFL is now highly invested in a player engagement and, and education, financial education. But is that, do we see, see that as a, do you see that as a systemic problem that, you know, you have kids sometimes coming from sort of a rougher background and then, you know, being rewarded amazingly for such great work and hard work and then and then leaving the NFL, you know, with lots of money and maybe not a lot of direction. Is that a, a problem for, you know, is that a problem that education can help fix um, to well, some degree? I think it can, but also it has been getting better uh, with players having more access to, again, I think the mentor piece that has to come in strong. You have to have mm-hmm. you know, people that have been in their shoes that know what it's like, who can speak to these players and give them some guidance and give them some ways of helping to strengthen that process of knowing what has to transpire. So if the education system is getting better, I believe, but what I believe will be a huge impact is getting more mentor-mentee programs in place so people can actually start to move towards getting things done in a healthy manner. So if you take that now, now to your personal situation and you're in, you, you know, you're in construction uh, and you said that uh, uh, you, you learned everything you could learn, or at least that was your major mistake, that you thought you knew everything, what was the gap? You know, uh, what was the learning gap for you uh, at that time in your life uh, where, you know, you saw sort of the structure fall, fall out around you? You didn't have anybody around you to help work you through it. Was it a, a lack of understanding of leadership? Was it financial management skills? Was it, um, you know, a, a politics and navigating a political environment? Where, where was the missing gap for you in your well, story? The missing, the missing gap for me was is that, I had great money management skills. The problem was I got too emotionally invested in one project and I became a really bad leader the summer before I got into that project. And as a result of that, one of my best employees left the company. And once he left the company, the leadership, uh, you know, the uh, structure and the hierarchy as far as having someone to drive you know, good sensibility in the office was gone. And mm-hmm. once that happened, it was the beginning of the end for me. And literally, I had, you know, it was about six months. Right? So he left in, like, July, October, October, December, January, February. Yeah, he left in July. Six months later, I'm closing my doors, February 2013. 
and I'm, I'm preparing to file a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, uh, you know, that next month or, in, or six weeks later. And I was so broke, I couldn't even pay it off. It took me almost almost eight months to pay off my bankruptcy because I couldn't afford to pay off because I had no money. I was paying off in installments. But to answer your question specifically, it was a lack of good leadership sustainability that caused me to go uh, out of business. Yeah, and, and, that, and I think this is going to be where Liz jumps in after this last question for, for her, uh, her piece. But so now you transition. You're teaching, right? You're now you're, – you're an educator. Um, you're teaching others how to be successful. How is, has COVID-19 affected your ability to operate? Have you had to change things around? Have you gone more online? You know, have you uh, – I, I don't know, you know, your business uh, entirely. I'm assuming you're doing a lot of in-person trainings and such. Have you transitioned to online? How do you think this will affect your business moving forward with COVID-19? So it's hurt. It's, it's, it's put a hurt on my speaking on stage business. But uh, mm-hmm. we're pivoted now to more webinars, to more presentations. I actually have a coaching call here in 15 minutes with my client. And so we've really done a good job of switching over to consulting, webinars, and virtual events. And I'm actually having a phone call on Monday about doing a webinar for the NFL uh, trust, which is made up of like, I'm a, I'm a trust member myself, uh, for retired players that want to really do some, get some help around entrepreneurship. So it's been a lot more webinars, but again, it's been a heavy dose, which we've always done, of social media posting to create that really consistent, you know, um, process of being a very um, healthy and very consistent brand. Like we talked about earlier, Liz, that is, is consistent to our messaging and what we do. And we're not just here. Like a lot of people, when COVID hit, were trying to go flood social media. I saw for, in the month of April, email marketing was up almost almost 80%, but it was down almost 50% for people reading the emails because they were getting one every week or every or two a week. Like, and like, that's too much. Right. We, sent out one a, we sent out one a month, but we've been doing one a month since 2018. I'll say that, yeah, like, uh, since like 2000, like, you know, maybe like uh, April, May of 2018, it's been one a month. Building our list slowly. We're going to do some more subscription model things for 2021. But everything works in a process where we're not trying to jam things down people's throat. We're just setting it up to a certain, you know, very um, methodical structure and process. Great. Liz, you want to close, close it out with the final question? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And, and you've really shared a lot of really valuable knowledge with us about everything that we can do to just make the world a better place. That's really what we're all about. We want to help to add uh, value to our listeners and and make sure that we we bring them um, leaders like yourself that can do that. And just based on that, what do you see as um, just the the last parting things? What would you want um, our our leaders in higher education and our listeners to know about you and and um, your philosophy in terms of how at higher education can continue to improve and evolve with all of these things that are going on in the world around us, COVID and racial inequities. What do you think are the key takeaways here for that? I, want, I think the number one takeaway is treat people like you want to be treated. Like that has always been my cardinal move. 
and, I, and you know, and it's always been my cardinal rule. If people do that and they do it consistently, then we don't have a problem. And that's exactly what I'm trying to get more people in the world to realize is, and people say, oh, I, 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 they support the loot and the loot and the riot. I'm like, well, how would you feel if that was your business, right? Mm-hmm. How would you feel if that was your business you worked hard for, you've done nothing wrong, and people just took from you? How would you feel, you know, if you're a person, a person who's like, oh, police officers are all, are, are all good, which, again, there's a lot of them that are good. But there's some mm-hmm. that need, need to have some things brought to their attention. How would you feel if you were George Floyd's family? You wouldn't feel that way. So it's really about just being, that's why I say it all the time, I support and always will peaceful protesting, equality for all, humanity towards all people, uh, healthy discussion. I don't even agree, Liz and, uh, and Joe, for this. I can agree to disagree. What I most support is violence towards anybody except for self-defense, you're protecting yourself or your family, I don't support racism. I don't support programs and policies that divide us or keep anybody down. I don't support being inhumane or indecent to anyone or to any person for whatever reason. And I don't support people that make assumptions and want to argue with somebody else. So what I want people to just do is treat people the way that you want to be treated. That's the cardinal rule. If you can do that consistently, I think the world will be a much better place. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Well, there you have it, everyone. Um, uh, Marcus Ogden, we know you uh, are a busy man. We don't want to we'll give you at least a break before your next uh, phone call so you can uh, get get a cup of coffee or something. But uh, <laughs> we want to say, say thank you uh, for your time and coming on, uh, for your candor, uh, mm-hmm. for your message. And, you know, I think uh, – uh, 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 for anybody listening uh, that is in higher education, and Marcus, I'm assuming uh, that you you um, provide, uh, you know, if you want to plug your business a little bit and how you might be able to help anyone in higher education looking to motivate a staff or um, uh, or anything else, is, that, is those services that you might be able to provide if somebody or uh, administrator within higher education was interested in your services? Yeah, so they can go to my website, www.marcusmar.com. Q-U-E-S-O-G-D-E-N.com. And in higher education, trying to motivate or I call it inspire people, there's three things you want to always be sure that are set foundation-wise. One is operational excellence, the way through which you do your business, you conduct your teaching, and you give people the best of yourself with a good, strong operational excellence foundation. The second one is going to be quality product. You have to give your student body, your faculty, your, mm-hmm. whoever you're leading or teaching, you have to give a quality product at all times because it's a representation of you and the quality product is going to enhance or not enhance, if it's not good, your students and or your faculty and or your colleagues. And the last one is customer service. Everything we do in life is because the students are our customers. The faculty are our customers. You know, we don't, get, we don't pay them or anything like that. If you look at them as customers that you should treat with a high level of respect, I think you're going to get a lot from that because they're going to see that you respect them at the highest level. They're going to work harder for you as students. They're going to work harder for you as faculty. They're going to respect you more as a colleague. So, again, if you want your, your way you teach in your education system, all operational excellence, a quality product, 
and great customer service, I think you can achieve anything you want to when it comes to higher education. Now, that's a mic drop moment right there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, there you uh, have it. Provided Bomb. by Marcus Ogden. <laughs> That, that, that's one hell of an exit, my friend. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, uh, appreciate you and your time. And, uh, you know, thank you for come on, coming on the EdUp Experience. And we wish you well and, and your business much success in the future. Appreciate it. Have a great day, uh, both of you all. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Marcus Ogden, former NFL uh, lineman, I think he's offensive lineman, uh, spent uh, about five years in the NFL and uh, on to uh, losing all his money and then gaining it all back, hopefully, through a coaching business. Liz, what did you think of that interview with Marcus? He just gave so much value there. I love to hear from that 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 underdog, you know, someone that has a really amazing story of how they've overcome and hearing just some of his personal trials and tribulations and how he was able to just regroup and refocus and motivate himself and, and now giving back and finding a way to motivate others, I think is an awesome, a, a real amazing service that he's offering. And um, I liked in terms of the, the value that he can provide in lessons for higher education, when we think about brand management, when we think about customer service, when we think about your stakeholders, you know, sometimes in higher ed, we don't necessarily function that way. And um, he, those, the last couple words that he said, looking at your faculty and your students as customers and treating them that way and looking at being respectful and treating people the, the way that you want to be treated. I mean, everything that he said was just, just total value. Well, and you know, one really interesting piece for me, and, and I, I have, this is like where I'm totally out of my element because I have never experienced anything like this. Um, but you go and relate what he was saying back to what's happening in society right now with George Floyd and, and it's an African-American in, uh, in society. And Liz, obviously, you're, you're um, uh, from an African-American uh, culture, understand this better than I do. Uh, but he was ta- when he was talking about how he's six five and you know two hundred something pounds, and and he mm-hmm. sort of took the personality of taking it easy, and sure. to not to not intimidate. And I and I forgot to ask him, is that actually his personality, or did he take on that personality because of the way he was being received because of his height and, and, and stature? And mm-hmm. did he have to adjust that to fit in? Did he have to adjust that so that? He could open doors that you know maybe would not have been closed, and I, I thought that was a really important point. That if I had him back on the show, I'd ask him more about that. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh yeah, that was the point that stuck too. out for me. Yeah, and it's interesting that that stuck out to you because it, it didn't even register with me because we do it so much. It's something called code switching, yeah. double consciousness. W. E. B. Du Bois talks about it in his writing. Uh, famous uh, writer, poet, um, social scientist. Where most you know, I was I won't speak for everybody. But a lot of um, people in the black community, we do that. We observe ourselves from the outside and we determine if we're intimidating people or if there's something that maybe won't be responded to well by the dominant culture. And then we do take on a personality. And, and he, with him, with his size, he's taken on the personality of, hey, I'm a jokester. I'm laid back. You don't have anything to worry about. But a, a lot of black men do it. And it's really just a, a survival mechanism. And it's really very common. So I think that's maybe why it didn't even register with me because I, I know so many yeah. people that do it on a daily basis so yeah very well, interesting you hear how nice of a guy he is and how it's like hey 
you know, at the end of the phone call, I'm thinking to myself, man, I want to find out where he is. I want to drive over to his house. You're not a stop. I'm going to take this guy out for a beer. Because he sounds like a really cool guy. He tells really good stories. And, and uh, Absolutely. he's got one hell of an incredible story. So you hear how nice of a guy he is, and you, and you hope that that he experiences great success with his coaching business. Absolutely. And hopefully I'm sure he we did a good job exposing him to our higher ed community and you guys, yeah. he, he told you how to get a hold of him. So again, another great episode of the Edup Experience, Liz. Of, of course, thank you as always for your, thank you. for your experience and time. And until uh, next time. Bye. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. That's E-D-U-P experience.com. And please feel free to rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. We really, really appreciate your support. You've been listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Joseph Lucille, Elizabeth Leiber, and Elvin Freitas.